Hello and welcome to the Weekly Artifact. This is a tri-weekly podcast created by two friends who met undergrad and against all odds decided to keep talking to each other. I'm your host Alex, joined by my co-host whose favorite poem is about the senseless theft and destruction of a chilled plum. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was so funny that that poem was in the it was like in like the love section of some yeah. like anthology or something. Like, what does this have to do? I'm Justin. The internet moves fast. The hot takes of today are less than distant memory by tomorrow. We're here to slow down and recover the content that's been lost along the way in order to make sense of where the world was, where it is, and where it will be. To that end, we've each chosen an artifact from the web to discuss together. Our comments are our own and are not associated with any institution. The show may contain explicit language themes, so see the show notes for specific content warnings. Justin, what do you got today? So this week, my artifact is a video from a YouTube account under the name Zoe Baker, and the video is titled Identity Politics Divides the Left, a Response. So uh, the video basically makes eight points, and so I'll sort of lay it out uh, my summary based on those eight points. But overall, uh, the video is responding to the idea that working class solidarity should supersede any consideration of different identities within class uh, that could be seen to break up that class unity. And Baker also clarifies that by identity politics, uh, she's not referring to necessarily like liberal versions of feminism, but rather organizational politics that are designed to fight against uh, distinct types of oppression against different groups. So, like, black people fighting against anti-black racism. Point number one, they say identity politics doesn't inherently fragment the left. Instead, doing identity politics in the wrong way is the issue. So, they phrase it as, rather than calling people out, for example, we could call people in, which is uh, something I'm not super familiar with, but we can... I don't, know. Yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. We can go back to it later. But she says, rather than getting rid of identity politics, we can do it better. Point number two, uh, we don't need to debate whose oppression is most important. Uh, instead, we can take a more intersectional approach and see how oppression, different sorts of oppressions relate and overlap. Point number three is that different groups like you know Black-only or women-only groups don't cause uh, fragmentation since those groups can still be part of a larger whole and they point to a history of from going from like Black Panthers to Black Lives Matter and how those groups have fit into different uh, larger organizations. Point four, uh, historically the left has been fragmented by a difference of tactics rather than identity politics and um, they point to a number of splits in the UK socialist parties of the 20th century and how there's uh, a bunch of different parties who you know basically share the same goals but uh, end up just arguing with each other. Point five is to point out that capitalism is not the only oppressive structure and uh, how different working class people can oppress each other uh, through their own racism, homophobia, ableism, etc. And how we need to see people's distinctiveness other uh, you know, otherwise majority groups in the majority will sort of proclaim their experiences as being universal, and they uh, talk about the history of feminism 
and how earlier waves of feminism tended to sort of universalize the experience of middle class white women and sort of use that as a as a metaphor uh, for for how that process sort of works. Well, okay, so point six was a lot like point five to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, but but yeah, anyways, what they say working class unity is often the majority proclaiming their experience to be universal. But uh, they add the point here that um, it's counterproductive to spend more time attacking identity politics rather than attacking uh, things such as racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. Point seven, the left needs to include minority groups in order to succeed. And so our organizations need to feel inclusive. So things like racism and homophobia actually divide the left by making people feel unwelcome. And then the eighth and final point is that we need sort of a unity that respects difference. And they end the video quoting Amaze Césaire. I won't read the whole quote, but the part of it is, quote, my conception of the universal is that of a universal enriched by all that is particular, which uh, is from his 1956 resignation letter to the French Communist Party. That is my artifact for this week. So I picked this. Well, yeah, basically I I was uh, doing some other reading and uh, was tempted to pick the uh, Combahee River Collective Statement that sort of, or that does coin the phrase identity politics, but I didn't feel like there was actually as much to say about that necessarily, even though. Uh, people should read that. So I, so I had that on my mind, and I was just sort of looking through uh, some old YouTube playlists that I had and found this one. And I was like, oh, well, this kind of does the same thing that I was thinking about doing anyway. And so that's how I landed on this. And uh, I will say, too, that I do think I do think that there's more people who complain about class reductionists than there are actually class reductionists. However, I still do think it's probably worth discussing, and I think uh, there are some good points made in here, but I will let you uh, have the floor now, Alex. Oh, what, did, what did you say you wanted to... Oh, the uh, letting people in? Instead of, like, or, what was it? Oh, calling people in instead of calling them out. I just took that as, like, maybe this is a too, I don't know, naive or sort of... Uh, on the surface of understanding, I thought that was more just like, uh, "Hey, man, like, can we like sit down and like talk about like what I think is like wrong with what you're doing?" As opposed to just be like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Like, I think like that's like if you keep, like keeping it in house and sort of like um, having like a discussion with somebody that you agree with and like apparently other facets to have like to need to kick them out to sort of try to re understand them, like having you like them watch this video or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, that's what I took that to mean as but I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you had a different take. No, I think that probably is right. I just quickly looked up uh, some of the differences, and, and that's sort of the sense I get. It, it seems like calling out is more mm-hmm. about either you know excluding the person who is perceived to have caused offense or making them feel bad or whatever, whereas calling in is, I guess, more meant to understand why they said what they said or you know and 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 in order to help them maybe realize why it was wrong yeah so i don't know maybe it's just the 
maybe it's just like the phrasing of it is like kind of cutesy that is kind yeah. of strange. But it's, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. it just it yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it just yeah, no, sounded yeah, sounds sure. strange, I think. It's just one of those things where it's like, okay, like we just kinda like rebrand right what we're talking about. <laughs> but anyway. Um yeah, other than that though, I mean I think like <laughs> I do kinda like your point of sort of like not that it's like a scarecrow argument or whatever, but like the crime class reductionist, but like I don't know. I think like if you get somebody to the point of like realizing like seeing like the class divide for what it is, I think you can like start sort of well once you I think that you should you can use it as like a way to like get your foot in the door and then sort of like and see how like all these other things like see how this is like sort of echoes throughout like all these other different inequality like unequal relationships like consistent throughout like America or society as a whole or however you want to sort of how big you want to get with it but I mean I know like I I've, I have talked to people they're just like not like not everything else is sort of very secondary to class which like I don't know is not necessarily uncompelling because I know like I don't know I feel like that's not correct in the sense that like all that matters like obviously with the video but I think that there is something to be said about like I don't know because you can't change the other stuff as sort of immediately. I think if you're like, if everybody had a million dollars, like we would be better off. But also, like everybody stopped treating like you were different because of like your gender or your race. That would also be pretty choice. I don't know. I don't know which one's easier to guess tackle. I just know that I can like can like money is a more physical like entity to like hold and comprehend in some capacity. So I think it's easier for people to like start there. You know. Yeah, I think it really. I think it depends on. The person, I think there's definitely, I think it's easier for some people to organize around class, and then I think it's easier for other people to organize around different things, and yeah, I don't want to get too much into the uh, academic weeds here, but <laughs> I'll just say I think whatever you sort of come to first, I think is fine as long as you come to the other stuff later, because I think... Right. I do think we'd definitely be better off, obviously, if we were able to get rid of capitalism. But I'm also, I also do understand that there's, you know, we'll be, I guess, the you know, we'll be better off unequally, sort of. There'll still be other issues going on. Right. But, but at the same time, it's like the people that only organize around identity, uh, can, that could be a way to maybe get your foot in the door, but I think you could also get co-opted pretty easily into just, you know, rep- representation or whatever without any actual change, which I, I think is what she's trying, or what uh, the person who made the video is trying to get in front of when they are talking about identity politics, not as being this sort of like liberal feminism thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, what that can turn into. But, I mean, to me, I think the most important aspect of it is just in terms of the organization, uh, organizational element that we're alluding to, where especially uh, the point about making the groups feel welcoming in the first place. Yeah. I know uh, we had talked about this a couple weeks ago, or I don't, yeah, I don't really remember. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. When, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the the couple examples which i guess uh oh i know because uh jimmy Dore randomly came back into mm. the news with the whole 
uh, forced the vote for Medicare for all and stuff like that. And yeah, I know I used to listen to him and, you know, I think he still has, uh, you know, whatever. I don't, if anyone still listens to him, I think that's, you could definitely be doing worse for yourself. But I just remember there was like one week where he made a video and he, these were like super long videos too. Like they were like half hour long videos. It was like, at least one of them was, and one was, yeah, I don't know. There'll probably be more in the notes about this. I won't go into full detail, but uh, <laughs> there's this media personality, I guess. I, I don't know if he was like a, a journalist or what his exact title is, but his uh, name, Carlos Maza, who was basically being uh, harassed by this uh, right-wing troll, Steven Crowder. And uh, Steven was just being very homophobic towards him. And for, like, no reason, Jimmy Dore is just, like, coming out defending Steven Crowder, basically, and framing it as a free speech issue and being like, why is Carlos Mazza trying to get him kicked off YouTube? Like, that's that's a violation of his right to free speech. And it's like, anyway, well, and then the other example before I comment on it is just then he, he also made a video that uh, about that. Kyle Kashov guy who was I guess like a uh, Parkland shooting survivor or whatever but also like a conservative and he, he then got accepted to Harvard but then they retroactively like rejected him when they found out uh, that he had been using the n-word in some sort of like group chat or something or whatever but um and then Jimmy Dore made another video, like very uh, near the time he made the Carlos Maza one, basically, again, framing it as like a free speech issue, as if he has like the right to go to Harvard and Harvard was like somehow violating his rights for uh, excluding him from being racist or whatever. And it's just like, okay, even if you really believe deep down that there's way more uh, important stuff to be talking about. Like you should not have any free time to be making videos, defending racists and homophobes. Like when there's so many, you know, black people and queer people that you could be defending instead. It's like, instead of defending, you know, the actual people who need allies, you're like defending the people that are attacking them and then framing it as like a free speech thing. And then it always gets turned into this sort of like, Oh, well, if we, you know, if we let YouTube ban this homophobe, then they're going to start banning people on the left next. It's like, no, like queer people are already being like banned and demonetized because their stuff mm-hmm. is considered like, you know, in violation of their sexual content guidelines or whatever when they don't do the same thing to straight people. So it's like, no, it's not if we let them do this, then they'll come for us. Like they're already coming for us, but you're just ignoring it and choosing to defend the homophobic people instead. So. The Constitution guarantees that Ron Paul can post on Facebook. You don't understand. <laughs> also, Ron Paul Libertarian wants constitutional rights still enacted by a big government, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably a whole separate uh, episode we could do about free speech, because, yeah, I mean... That's I think we just solved it. <laughs> we just did the whole thing, I think, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that's misunderstood as if, you know, you have some sort of right to free speech on Facebook or something. It's like, no, that's not what that means, but whatever. <laughs> 
anyways, the other point that I had was just on the issue of these sort of tactical disputes on the left in terms of, I think there's some um, value in having disputes over tactics, but I also see where they're coming from in terms of like, you don't want to necessarily splinter off too much. But I guess, maybe this is a little bit tangential, but whatever. It's our podcast. I can go on tangent if I want. But uh, (laughs) with the whole, like, I do feel like there's a, the left does this thing. And I hate using broad brushes, like the left and the right, but whatever. Capital L left. Yeah. (laughs) But I do, well, I'll put it this way. Like when you're, if you're on Twitter or something, I feel like leftist Twitter does have this tendency to like, once they decide on the accepted position, it's like very hard to nuance it at all. And it's like for the canceling student debt one, my thing was always like, okay, like I'm like canceled student debt. I'm fine. I don't care if these debtors get paid at all, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but if you're going to cancel student debt, you should probably also help the people that either already paid their debt or that, chose not to even go to college or went to like a smaller college or whatever to like avoid the debt. And it's like, mm-hmm. you say that and you like, you just get jumped on. It's like, Oh, you don't want to cancel the debt. It's like, no, I actually want to like give out more money than you do. Yeah, I'm, but... actually trying to do... I'm actually better than you. Actually, if you were listening <laughs> to me, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, you're not, it's like, you're not allowed to have like that tactical disagreement for some reason. Cause leftist twitter already made their memes about it well god forbid you're even more to the left Mm -hmm. (laughs) you better fucking believe that there's even still an agreed upon amount that you can get rid of you fucking idiot Mm -hmm. yeah uh i guess that's pretty much all i had to say about it other than i don't know why she used a picture of patricia hill collins for intersectionality when she probably should use kimberly crenshaw but that's neither here nor there but anyways, but yes i'm uh <laughs> hashtag team collins hashtag team crenshaw get in the comments <laughs> all right so, so... That's, uh, i'll do the transition thank you uh <laughs> so that's all i have for my artifact for this week alex what do you have Uh, my artifact artifact this week is uh, an NPR article uh, written by Gene Demby from uh, 2014 why we have so many terms for people of color Uh, the article starts uh, last week the Toronto Star found itself in the midst of one of those blinking you missed internet kerfuffles of a race the Ontario Human Rights Commission had settled on a term in, to use reference for people of color, uh, which was, quote, racialized people. And the commission had wrote, uh, recognizing that race is a social construct, the commission describes people as racialized person or racialized group instead of the more outdated and inaccurate term racial minority, visible minority, person of color, or non-white. In turn, star reporter Natasha Grzynski created a listicle quote, five other labels for people of color or non-whites, racialized people. It seemed to be riffing on a common idea that these designations are tortured and overly sensitive. Some readers had complained that the reporter was making light of the agency's decision, and the story was subsequently removed from the Star's website a few hours later with a note saying that it did not meet the paper's standards. 
Giving another example, uh, Denby writes, the Army found itself in hot water after it updated its regulations to prevent discrimination, noting that some people who were, quote, black or African-American might identify as a, quote, Negro. The story was widely reported as Army says Negro is okay to use, and although that's not exactly what happened, the Army felt compelled to issue an apology and remove the motif. Continuing on, the author writes, minorities, non-whites, people of color, in some corporate sections, you might even hear someone use the term diverse as a modifier, as in we're really interested in hearing a diverse voice on this issue, as though an individual person might be diverse. Which, to be fair, though, that, that does mean that I'm also a diverse voice in the podcast, because it's a 50-50 split. So that's good. For, that's cool for me to be really pulling out there. He goes on to write, each of those terms came into wide use in the 20th century, only to fall out of vogue and be replaced with a new one. Each replacement was meant to be less loaded than its predecessor, only to eventually take on all the predecessor's anxieties and some new ones. Linguists refer to this process as pejoration. Quoting Lauren Hall Liu, a social linguist in, at the University of Edinburgh, quote, If a word that refers to something always appears in sentences where that thing is framed negatively, then that term will likely take on that negativity. Friend of the podcast, Steven Pinker, gave the idea of a more common name in the 2004 book, The Blank Slate, <laughs> calling this the euphemism treadmill. Quote, the drive to adopt new terms for disadvantaged groups often assumes that words and attitudes are so inseparable that one can re-engineer people's attitudes by tinkering with the words. The euphemism treadmill shows that concepts, not words, are primary in people's minds. Give a concept a new name, and that name becomes colored by the concept. The concept does not become freshened by the name, at least not for long. Names for minorities will continue to change as long as people have negative attitudes towards them. We, we will know that we have achieved mutual respect when the names stay put. I'm giving another sort of contemporary example, uh, the Census Bureau said no to decennial censuses that have ever used the same language or categories for questions about race, ethnicity, Oriental became Asian, became Asian American and Pacific Islander, colored became Negro, and then back, and then to black, and then African American. The nomenclature for white people, on the other hand, has remained more or less stable, even if the definition who might qualify as white has been pretty fluid over the past few hundred years. Going back to sociologist Lewin Hall, she points out that colored is an ugly anachronism in the United States, but still a pretty neutral dis, uh, descriptor in South Africa, where colored with a capital C refers to people with certain mixed race ancestries. Despite the extremely fraught history of racial tension in South Africa, there was not as direct a relationship between the term colored and racist discourse the way we see in the United States. She said the context also explains why both colored people and people of color can have such drastically different meanings in the U.S. It's about who says it and what they're saying when they say it. Closing out with King Pinker. (laughs) (laughs) The article ends with, as while Steven Pinker may call it the euphemism treadmill, other folks might call it, uh, other folks might call it derisively political correctness, but this is how language works. It reflects the relationship between speaker and groups. These descriptors will be in flux as long as our orientations to each other keep changing, which suggests that the treadmill isn't likely to stop anytime soon. Um, the article also talks about rec- uh, reclaiming of words and how there's not even a consensus among sort of the ethnic groups that the words refer to, noting that there isn't a consensus in the black community was whether black or African-American is preferred. Many toggle back and forth and employ their own personal taxonomies. Um, and noting about reclamation, um, Hallu says successful instances of reclamation suggest that those speakers have enough social capital in certain communities at least to make it stick, which, for example, might give us some insight on the cultural changes in legitimacy granted to speakers who identify as, quote, queer. 
now this was in 2014, and Justin, as you all know, we have actually come to, in the year 2021 now. We have all come to a consensus on which words are correct. So would you like to list those off for me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of it's strange because obviously, or maybe not strange, but I don't know the right word, but because you can't know whether or not the words are going to continue to switch, which I think actually maybe relates to some of what we were just saying about like this you know once there's like consensus it's hard to disagree with it until the consensus suddenly like switches but yeah because it's like there's certain words that are accepted now uh feel almost permanent in the sense that it, it, it just in terms of the sense that there is a consensus but yeah obviously we won't know till later if if the words are actually here to stay or if it will continue to find different words. Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> I was really hoping you'd take the... I know you wouldn't, but I was really hoping you'd take the bait and give me a couple of hot takes of uh, <laughs> what what will absolutely stand the test of time should our kids hear these and be like, bro, what the hell was that? <laughs> you can't say that, Dad. <laughs> well, I mean, I think um, there are... Like if you like the history of of African Americans using black, I think you know you can even go back at least as far as 1903 when Du Bois is using souls of black folk, and then obviously today black is still used. But there may be as different times where um, it's more or less accepted, I guess. But I think you can always. If you, yeah, yes, I, there's, there's no point in listing out every single book that's used black in the title, but there's a pretty consistent history there. Name one more. Black Bourgeoisie by E. Franklin Frazier. All right, never mind. Fine. Fine. All right, major <laughs> point. <laughs> is there a, was there a particular reason you landed on this article? I was reading an article that was a book review, book review basically, of a book that came out that was sort of talking about like who got to be white when in sort of the history of America. And then it sort of, I think this article predated that. So it got to be more artificial, artifactual, got to be more artifactual and um, was less of sort of like a weird ad spot for like what seemed like a good book. So that's sort of how I came to it. And I think it's just, I think there's still, I mean, we talked about identity politics with Kamala Harris and you were sort of talking about, I mean, you sent your article first, the identity politics. And I think it's just sort of, the the like sort of I am identifying as this, but even the words you choose when you say like what you identify as, I think is also interesting. And I think mm-hmm. I, I talking about sort of left Twitter and stuff, seeing like the decisions people use when they sort of like what when they identify and like who I like I think specifically the one that really the the ones that interest me are the ones that like when the people in the the group that is getting categorized like doesn't agree with like what is considered like the pc category like when black people are like don't call me african-american or like we had a you and i had a professor who was native american but wanted to be referred like referred to himself as an indian uh, because he like in the sense like that was like like a government issue title that he like didn't like he's like i was like born and raised i grew up like being called indian like don't change it on me now basically yeah, I think there could be sometimes this rush to, again, I, it goes back to that consensus thing. I don't know why we keep ending up here, but where it's like, well, yeah, once consensus has been decided, it 
can even override like the actual experience of the people that it's supposed to be made to help is maybe not the right word, but made, you know, is trying to make feel welcome or whatever. Even like the, like the military thing or whatever, I assume it's the part you're referring to where it's like someone like, I don't personally know. <laughs> I don't personally know anyone that identifies as Negro. I, I, I feel like that might have been. Uh, I don't know what was that. That's a bold choice. <laughs> but you know, it, it's possible that someone does. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, there's millions of people out there. Is, is, does is it possible that some do? Sure. And it's like, okay, and if they do, I don't know what uh, authority anyone has to be like. Oh, the way that you're choosing to identify yourself <laughs> is wrong because the consensus has shifted or <laughs> whatever. Right. But I do think I do think the consensus does have some significance, some legitimate significance in terms of. I th- I think it it sort of reflects, and this is actually something that I think I heard on an episode of, of Lexicon Valley, but I heard it a long time ago, so I don't. I probably won't be able to find the exact episode, but where it's just kind of like using the most up-to-date language is sort of a marker of that you are still paying attention and care about the issue Mm. and that you're sort of Mm. like in a a group of people that has some sort of authority to speak on the issue because if you're still using Negro or colored person, that indicates that you if you ever cared about the issue at all, you stopped caring like 50 years ago and haven't right. wanted to learn anything new since. And I think that is a fair point, um, which I might even suggest could be more relevant than the uh, whole idea of pejoration or whatever, potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't know for sure. I'm not really a steven pinker fan i'm not sure you're memeing yourself a little bit there i don't, I don't know why but you're you're the one that keeps, that keeps having him in the article so i don't know but and yeah i also don't really know uh, i don't know what uh authority steven pink raven really has necessarily to to know this stuff so intellectually i don't really agree with steven pinker or philosophically or morally i just he's just a hair icon for me and so that's sort of why i keep him around in the back pocket (laughs) for the flow to do the other side of the argument though i don't advocate for the devil i'm not a legal attorney yet please don't sort of give me that legal responsibility but i think it all there's also this thing like and we've talked about sort of the woke the woke town like dunk fest though where i think like if somebody makes a good point but they like don't use like something that isn't necessarily like um problematic but not like the best term you'd be like well you don't know what the fuck you're talking about because you said this or like they're like well actually um we don't say that anymore (laughs) um and then also like this might be a straw man argument but like people sort of like learning the language so that well the, the not the straw man is learning the language so that companies can sell you on wokeness but maybe more of a straw man is somebody like come like a troll coming in like learning the language and like just like trying to make like right wing points but like knowing to like say like the right things to like get in the door mm-hmm. yeah i mean you definitely can see the co-optation of different language from 
Sorry, I mean, and you can see it with conservatives sometimes and with also liberals as well, where it's like this language of, oh, I mean, the joke is always like, we're gonna, you know, we need more women prison guards or whatever. And oh, but just, we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, where it just becomes like a representational thing or whatever. Or, but, but I mean, the conservatives, I, I feel like, are definitely the worst, where it's like they'll take up the language of like victimhood or whatever it's like oh yeah. we're it goes back to if you don't remember if we we're talking this before the podcast or during but where it goes back to like my free speech is being taken away like i'm a victim of uh, some sort of like repression because my twitter got suspended for using the n-word or something like <laughs> um and that's not even to say like the language of victimhood is like uh, central to the left, but it's kind of like, but though I, I guess just sort of like for me, it's like I'm being oppressed somehow, I guess is a better way to put it. Right. I think the um, other thing that I thought was uh, worth mentioning about this article was just about how words can also change because different groups get more, sort of agency to name themselves uh, where it sort of points out like autonyms versus exonyms. Yes. Cause I think, I think that relates back to our episode on changing history where it's like, mm-hmm. like, Oh, why are you well, in that? So we talked about like, you know, why is this history changing? But in this case, it's why is that word changing? It's like, well, because we've now found like a better way to do it. But then at the same time, right after that has the, where it says it could, things can be contested to, which I know you talked about, um, which I think is a good point too, because that's another sort of pet peeve is they'll be like, oh, well, you know, this group believes this thing or whatever. It's like, no, like every group is, you know, there's always going to be disagreement in, in any group you have or whatever, where it's like, yeah, you can't just talk about, you know, oh, uh, well, Native Americans did things this way or whatever. It's like, yeah. okay, um, some of them definitely do, but and and that could be a useful shorthand, maybe. But also, we can. There's not. There's never going to be like one homogenous way of doing something within any group. Yeah, Negroes can't even agree with each other. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that plus the plus your little opening. You're you're about to be canceled. Right. <laughs> no, you can't cancel me. I'm in the safe room. <laughs> that could be the most offensive transition to the safe room I've ever had. <laughs> Both offensive in terms of not being funny in an awesome <laughs> context. All right, Alex, now that we're in the safe room, uh, what what do you need protection for this week? (laughs) I need my safe room to tell everybody that you're not better than the city or town you grew up in, with some sort of blaring exceptions, perhaps, that I don't have off the top of my head. Having come from sort of a middling Rust Belt city, or a (laughs) suburb of it at least, uh, that could an be all-American city. <laughs> all-American. 
Having come from a uh, middling Rust Belt city, there's a lot of talk from the locals about, like, man, this place is dead. You just, we gotta get out of here. Gotta go move to fucking LA or New York City or some shit. Uh, and, like, that's fine. I mean, if I guess if you, like, want to be, like, a professional actor, that's sort of going to be your best opportunity unless you're happy with sort of lo- more local productions. Uh, if you want to be, like, if you're a narcissist and you want to be a very front-facing entertainer, then, yeah, you should probably go to uh, New York or L.A. But, like, your personality isn't bigger or better than, like, any place. Like, and if you, like, think it's shitty, you should probably concern yourself with improving it as opposed to just leaving it for dead but that's probably i don't know if that's a grievance that you have had or you've moved on to a different middling uh rust belt city so maybe (laughs) (laughs) you've uh doubly heard it or i don't know whatever you've your lateral move has gotten you to a different perspective but like i don't know i'm sick of people sort of just like insisting that for no reason besides that they exist, they're better than a neutral place that they were born at. And I don't think it has anything necessarily even to do with where specifically you're born. I think this is a fairly, maybe universal, maybe a little bit too strong, but a fairly common, at least, occurrence where it's like, people just feel like they have to leave wherever they're from. For as like it, I think it's kind of just boils down to like the grass is always greener on the other side kind of thinking, mm-hmm. where it's like you just kind of become unhappy with your situation for whatever reason instead of and I don't know I'm not even gonna I, I don't even mean to frame this as like they're definitely wrong I think because I think sometimes <laughs> leaving I mean. I mean, you even said that that there are like there are some cases where it could make sense. I might there might even be some more, but whatever. It's not worth getting into every individual instance. The point I'm trying to make is that I think a lot of times too, sometimes the issue is you know you have to figure out something about your own self. You can't just take your same self and place yourself in a different location. and then think that everything is now fixed or whatever. I think that's something that I see from people where it's like, well, yeah, just moving from, especially if it's like a lateral move or whatever, but whatever, but just moving from one place to another, that's not going to unlock any new opportunities automatically just because like the people from that are from the place you just moved to, some of them are also moving for because they felt like they didn't have opportunities or whatever. So, right. Yeah. I think like, I mean, barring sort of extreme examples of sort of, like, abusive, like, relationships with, like, lo- other locals or something like that. But, like, it, that's the exception. And as we've talked about with our sort of my safe about driving, like, it's so very – it's an exception for a reason. It's probably not you, dear listener, or person that exists, complainer, including ourselves, uh, not the exception. So, like, I, it just seems like an excuse to, like – like you said, not take stock with how sort of middling and mediocre you are and blaming like your surroundings as opposed to just being like, you could just be top dog in like this place, or you could be shitty here or shitty somewhere else. Like you could sort of make yourself better. And that's not dependent on your area code. And if it is, it's like either really like says how little control you have over your own life or uh, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's even, I, I wonder too, if it's, if it matters now that, 
because I think before all the social media and stuff, maybe you could leave to sort of almost start fresh, but I don't even know whether or not, I think to some extent you still could, because obviously if you still, if you wanted to, I mean, you, you already said like abusive relationship, but even maybe just like, if you want to sort of start fresh with your relationships for whatever reason, I guess could that could be a potential way to do it. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm trying to think of all the, the reasons why it could make sense. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with your take ultimately. I think, I think in most cases it's better to sort of look within before you just default to, well, I'm going to move and fix everything. <laughs> Uh, you'll still be depressed in Tom Beat, I promise. <laughs> and you'll still have writer's block in Hoboken. <laughs> I thought you weren't going to say where we're from. <laughs> oh my god. No matter what, we will never be from New Jersey, alright? <laughs> Sleep sound. But that's all I've got, Justin. What do you need protection from in the safe room? What's getting you canceled this week? <laughs> All right, so my take uh, is currently timely, but we'll see whether or not it is. But uh, <laughs> but I was just reflecting as the Trump presidency is coming to an end here, and how, and specifically thinking about that uh, coup attempt, or you know whatever that that white supremacist terrorism. But I think what this ultimately proves is that. Bush was actually still a worse president. And what got me thinking about this was, you know, everyone was just, like, talking about Trump's doing a coup, Trump's trying to coup all this stuff, and, like, framing it as being, like, this unprecedented thing. And then I thought about it, I'm like, wait a second. Bush also did a coup after losing the election. He just did his, (laughs) quote-unquote, legally and without any fanfare, although there was still, like, some uh, rioting that went on that sort of led to it. There was the whole Brooks Brothers riot or whatever. But for the most part, his was very not spectacular. It was just his idiot brother helping him out with the Florida, uh, stopping the, you know, also stopping the count. I mean, like at the end of the day, Bush literally stopped the count. Like that's what you know. What his brother helped him, and then went to the Supreme Court, and they're just like, "Yeah, uh, stop the count uh, while Bush is ahead." So like, um, <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> doesn't make. I mean, yeah. The point I'm getting to is that there was, and I, I just started thinking of all the other stuff that Bush did that was also worse than Trump, or or at least maybe has a parallel to Trump. And just the ways that everything Bush did was just maybe less spectacular, but, you know, in a lot of ways just as better or worse. I'll always say, in terms of the Iraq war, I don't think Trump, I don't think Trump ever did anything that was nearly as bad as the Iraq war. I think Bush has Trump squarely beat there. Um, Bush also did 9-11, so don't forget about that. I'm going to check mark. <laughs> is, is this or is this not the safe room? I thought we were trying to speak our truths here. <laughs> I think the closest thing Trump has to Iraq wars maybe that uh, Klan rally or whatever in Charlottesville, where we can sort of see like, but 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 point making is that Trump can only sort of like rally up like domestic thugs that he doesn't. It's 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 more spectacular because it's here 
in America, but actually just in terms of like the death count and the suffering is actually lower. And then if Trump did one thing worse than Bush, it was COVID. Although I'm that could just be kind of luck of the draw because I don't think Bush would have done a better <laughs> job handling COVID. And the the comp again, if we are going to look at one, is nine eleven, where similarly Bush was warned that there was probably going to be an attack and did nothing. Similarly, how Trump was warned about COVID and did nothing. And and then another example, as I think of, was the uh, handling of Hurricane Katrina for for Bush versus Hurricane Maria for Trump. I thought it was it was fairly similar. Well, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but. I, I just think the way New Orleans was set up. I mean, New Orleans is still hasn't really recovered from Hurricane Katrina. And I know Puerto Rico also is still uh, leaning from Hurricane Maria, but obviously that was more recently. Uh, we have Trump's kids in cages versus Abu Ghraib. I mean, pick your poison there, I guess. And then we have Bush's Great Recession versus Trump's COVID crash. So my only point is that uh, I think you can you know have this debate over which is worse. But I just think it's disingenuous to outright say that Trump is worse when you actually look at all the stuff they did, even though I think Trump is more spectacularly bad than Bush. I think ultimately, if we were just going to say at least Bush is better than Trump, and within eight years, you'll be saying Trump is better than whoever the next Trump is. Mega fascist 3000. <laughs> I was going to say, do you think Trump's going to be rehabilitated? Um, you know what? I don't think he, uh, I don't think he's ever honestly gotten put through the ringer enough to even warrant a rehabilitation because I think he just kind of, like, uh, is, like, the heel of the American presidency right now. I think this is just sort of, like, his lot in life, and he's kind of happy to have it. But I think your, your timeline's wrong, because it'll be Biden for eight years, Kamala for eight years, (laughs) AOC for 16 years, and then Bernie for the rest of... Uh, until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But we I still won't have Medicare for, Medicare for all. <laughs> That's still on the, it's on the chopping block. It's on the tape. We're discussing it. We're talking about it. We're thinking about it. Uh, no, Trump will be, yeah. Well, I think we'll just be like, yeah, he was a real uh, idiot, right? You got <laughs> But like, not like, don't give him enough credit for being like an actually nefarious presence. They'll just be like, this dumbass. And like, you'll just sort of remember him as a dumbass. But like, None of like the damage, though you know we'll give to give Trump a little credit. I mean, if he got a second term, maybe he got he could have his own Iran Contra or something. But he just we didn't give him the opportunity, so it's just untapped potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be it would have been. Uh, I mean, it would have been terrible for Trump to have a second term, obviously, but... Uh, <laughs> You're about to say it would have been nice. No, I was, I was going to say it would be interesting, but I don't want to I don't want to frame this as just how I'm like some distant observer, like, oh, it would be interesting to observe everyone. Like, it would be terrible, but yeah, it was interesting in, in the sense of uh, the whole debate of whether Trump's second term would have been worse than his first or whatever. Because yeah, I think I heard, I heard an interesting argument that actually most presidents do their most damage in their first term, and their second term tends to be a lot more gridlock. And I think we saw, yeah. I mean, obviously, assuming that the House and Senate were going to go the way they were going to go regardless, uh, obviously Trump would have had less power, so I think that probably, we probably would have seen that play out. But yeah, I think back in terms of this rehabilitation question, I, is, I was uh, just had an interesting conversation with some people the other uh the other week where we were i kind of think he will ultimately just because 
the same way we feel about, you know, or I guess the same way that a lot of people feel about Trump in terms of him being terrible, one of the worst presidents ever, was the exact same way that people felt about Bush at the end. And then yeah. Bush still got rehabilitated. So I, I don't, in terms of that, it's like, and same with a lot, like people even are like, do the same thing with like Reagan and maybe slightly to a less extent with Nixon. Although I have even seen people being like, oh, Nixon's crimes weren't as worse and weren't as bad as Trump's crimes or, and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, all these people that we swore were never going to be rehabilitated, we're going to go down infamy, always end up coming back. But the thing that they, the counterpoint they made, which I thought was interesting, was that these people were, were able to come back because ultimately they're pretty chummy with the uh, establishment, whereas Trump is always antagonizing them, and they at least seem to legitimately not like Trump. Like, the, like a lot of people in, like, mainstream media actually do not like Trump because Trump is always, like, calling, you know, he's, like, the failing New York Times and... He hates CNN and all this stuff. And those are the people that you kind of need to have on your side if you're going to be rehabilitated. And they seem generally not to like Trump. So that is the counter argument. Yeah. And Trump's also never going to take up like an innocent hobby. Like, but, I mean, Bush is painting suck, <laughs> obviously, but it's like something that the media can point to and be like, oh, isn't this nice? He's painting now. Like, Trump is not, Trump has no, nothing he can do. Like, Trump's hobby is like tweeting out racist conspiracy theories. Like, so not anymore. That's well, canceled. That's true. Yeah, he's gone. Although, yes, another question right here. I do wonder if Twitter will keep Trump suspended because they got to be hemorrhaging money right now. There's a whole ecosystem that was just built around that's for Trump sure. and his reply guys. Yeah, I think Trump will probably get rehabilitated just because, and we're seeing it more and more with like mid-tier politicians but like the american presidency is so mythologized mythologized in like the na the national like headspace that like i don't think we can ever sort of fully acknowledge having like a terrible president like as a nation like everybody will, like people can have their individual opinions and groups but i don't think can, like they'll ever be like no nah, this guy sucked ass like at least for now like not in our lifetime mm-hmm I'm inclined to agree. I, it won't happen immediately, but by the time people see what the next Trump looks like, I think people will look back and as the you know lovable idiot that was that yeah. will I guess will be Trump in the uh, rose tinted glasses yeah. of nostalgia. Just your goofy uncle at the dinner table that also rapes people <laughs> and. Suit is like deeply bankrupt, but talks like, like he's got money <laughs> and a narcissist and racist. And I'm trying to think of the hot, t I'm, I can't remember all these trumpets. Uh, makes jokes about women's periods coming out of their ears, does that funny thing where he shuts down the government and then pay feeds the winning college football team with mcdonald's instead uh does that cute thing where he says look at my african-american over there that cute thing um does that cute thing where i'm just gonna fade out <laughs> i think we're gonna have to do an episode about uh your uncle here sounds like not a great oh, guy <laughs> trump's everybody's uncle dude <laughs> just your uncle that does all this stuff <laughs> 
<laughs> I do have an uncle that like idolizes Trump though. I got a real stop the count, stop the steal face. I had to mute him pretty hard on Facebook, but uh, yeah, that's our oh, show. That's our show. Can you? Right, I guess you would. You? I have. I have to do my thing. I don't. I don't even want to know. Yeah, what you're I know, talking but to don't me, let but. me. I'll just mute myself. God damn. I know. But. <laughs> oh my god. That's our show for this week. See the show notes for a link to view the artifacts for yourself and view the end notes. Artwork by J A S Studios. Music produced nope. by Nicholas Pizzuto. J- what? Not J. It's J A S Art Studios. You not J-A-S? J-A-S? You just said J-A-S Studios. Did I not? <sighs> Artwork by J-A-S Art Studios. Music produced by Nicholas Pizzuto. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook. And tell a friend or enemy about the show. Join us again in three weeks as we find two new texts to discuss. I literally can't stand you. <laughs> you said you'll hear it on the recording. You said I guess I will. I, I guess I will hear it on the recording. Oh my god! I, I more have to deal with like bad faith arguments with like the my friends that I like disagree with politically. Like we were talking about like whenever what's his not Cuomo like I think it was Cuomo I don't know who did it I think it was Cuomo but did like the band like the super extra large like big slurpees from 7-Eleven mm-hmm. like, all those like years back or whatever he's like yeah like I don't know like you really is that what you want to focus on you don't want to like work on the homeless and I was like you don't give a fuck about the homeless that's a liar if they brought that up you'd be just as pissed like the death of silence <laughs> like that's not oh my god I was like yeah you're right the liberals just sort of take like the like uh, front-facing, like, good field points and, like, easy policy that nobody actually gives a shit about, but you also don't care. Like, <laughs> you'd be out of the screaming if there's an anti-homeless in this fucking act getting passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, like, you just gotta go for, like, the quick dunk and get out of there. That's <laughs> my, like, strategy. Yeah, although I've noticed sometimes you go for the dunk and it's like they can't. They, I don't want to say they're like too uh, stupid to get it or something. Yeah, I, I don't know the right word, but I, there'll be times where I'm like, like, like okay, so for when she was like, uh, yeah, Cuomo is too generous to poor people or whatever. I'm just like. Yeah, that's the problem that poor people have it too easy in life, and like no one got it. They are just kind of like still nodding along. I'm like, yeah, oh wait, no. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. that just went over your head. So I, okay, so I can't. There, there's no quick dunks here. I have to like start at the beginning. Yeah. I guess. <laughs>